Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Our scripture reading this morning is going to be Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, found on page 941 in the Pew Bibles. If you were with us last Sunday, you will remember that in the last paragraph of chapter 3, verses 27 through 31, Paul asked three questions, three questions that really began to get at some of the major implications of this doctrine of justification uh, by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone, that he had uh, presented to us in uh, the second half of Romans chapter 3. The first of those questions was this, what becomes of our boasting? If this doctrine of justification by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone is true, what becomes of boasting? And Paul's answer was short and to the point. He said simply, it is excluded. If justification by faith is true, boasting is excluded because the gospel shows that we have nothing of which to boast. Now, for many, it's hard to hear that as good news. It's hard to hear that you have nothing to boast about as good news. It's hard to hear that your best efforts fall short, that your, uh, the, the things that you are most proud of earn you no favor with God. We like to be affirmed. We like to be praised. We, we, we like to think well of the things that we do well. But the gospel says, no, that you have nothing of which to boast. So it's hard to hear that as good news, but what I want to, or what we saw last week, is that the exclusion of boasting, while it is in some ways a slap in the face, it is nevertheless the best news we could hear, because it is the foundation of our assurance. If we had something, if we had to do something praiseworthy in order to earn God's favor, if we had to, to do something meritorious, in order to to know that we were right with Him, then our assurance would would always be doubtful and tentative. We'd always be be wondering if what we had done was enough. We'd always be wondering if we could keep it up. We'd always be wondering when our strength was going to fail, when we were going to mess it up and, and ruin our relationship. But because we know that our relationship depends not upon what we have done, but upon what He has done for us, Our assurance stands firm even in the face of our weakness. Because our righteousness rests upon what God has done for us in and through Jesus Christ, and not upon what we have done for God, our assurance is guaranteed and unassailable. God has proven His love for us in this that while we were sinners, weak and hostile towards Him, Christ died for us. And because He has died for us, because He has died in our place, we can know without doubt that He loves us and that He is, in fact, working all things together for our good. So last week we saw that the very thing we were after in our boasting, 
the very thing we want. Why do we boast? We boast because we want people to know the good things about us so that they will love us, so that they will respect us. The very thing that we were after in our boasting, God has guaranteed to us by excluding boasting. That is the counterintuitive logic of the gospel. This morning we are going to see that continue. We are going to see a further implication of this gospel of justification. In the second question that Paul asked there, if you'll scan back to the end of chapter 3, you'll see it in verses 28 and 29. Paul asks, um, I'm sorry, in verses 29 and 30, Is God the God of the Jews only? Is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not also the God of the Gentiles? Paul says yes. He is the God of the Gentiles also, for He will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. As he said previously, there is no distinction. This morning, we're going to begin to unpack that further as we look at chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. So let us look carefully at God's Word here and let's hear His good news for us this morning. In a gospel that is for all who believe. Read with me Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 9. Listen to this. This is the very word of God. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing upon our study of his word this morning. Father God, you are a gracious God, the Lord God Almighty. And we come before you seeking your grace this morning. Father, pour out your Holy Spirit on us, that through the reading and the preaching of your word, through the proclamation of your gospel, you would bring about in us the obedience of faith for the sake of your name. This we ask with confidence because we are praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Sarah inherited a delicious caramel corn recipe from her mother, who I believe in turn inherited it from her mother. It's one of those recipes that you're like, you, you know, we should really sell this stuff. It's, it's that good. But it is laborious to make. It takes a long time. It's an extended process. And so she doesn't make it all that often. In fact, she usually just makes it around Christmas time when she is going to give it away to someone else for a present. And so I have often at Christmas time come home to find the house filled with the wonderful aroma of caramel corn, only to find out that it's not for me. 
Well, in the previous verses, these verses that we were just referring to and beginning at chapter 3, verse 21, Paul has been filling the air with the wonderful aroma of justification by faith apart from works of the law. But there's still a question hanging out there. The question is, who is this blessing for? Who gets to partake? And that is the question that Paul answers uh, here in these verses, verses 9 through 12. And Paul's answer is straightforward. He says simply that the blessing of justification by faith, the blessing of being counted righteous because of what Christ has done for you, not because of what you yourself have done, that blessing is not for the Jews only. It is not only for the circumcised, but it is for all who Believe, belief, or, or trust or faith in Jesus Christ is all that is required to receive the blessing of justification. So I want us to begin to unpack that rather simple answer in, in three parts. First, I just want to ask simply, what is this blessing? Remind ourselves, what is the blessing that Paul is talking about here? Then I want to ask, who is this blessing for? And see how Paul answers that. And then finally, I want to ask, so what? Why does it matter? Why does it matter to us today that this blessing is not reserved simply for the circumcised? Well, let's begin with what the blessing is. Notice verse 9. He says, is this blessing then only for the circumcised? Well, that, the blessing that he's referring to is the blessing that he has just described for us in verses 6 through 8. Look there with those verses. He says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteous apart from works. Now to feel the full weight of that statement, you have to understand and you have to remember everything that Paul has been driving home up to this point in his letter to the Romans. Remember that he began not with so much as the good news as, as the bad news that makes the good news necessary. He began with the truth about the wrath of God. He said that all of us have been created by God and therefore we are accountable to God for what we do with the life that he has given to us, that he has entrusted to us. And that the day is coming when he is going to call all of us to give an account. But the truth is that on that day, none of us is going to be able to give a satisfactory answer. None of us is going to be able to give a, a satisfactory account of the lives that we have lived because we have all done those things that we knew we ought not to have done. We have all done those things that we knew bring God's wrath. This was true of the Jews who, who had the law handed to them in written form. But it's also true of Gentiles who, who had the law written upon their hearts. All of us, without exception, have failed to worship God as God. We have failed to, to honor Him, and we have done things that we ought not to have done. We all stand guilty and without excuse before the Maker of heaven and earth. And so that day that is coming when we are going to be called to give an account is not going to be a day of good news, but a day of wrath and fury. That is the predicament that we find ourselves in. That is the, the position that we find ourselves in. So that there's no more important question than how can I be right with God? How can I be reconciled to Him? How can I find a righteousness that will enable me to stand on that day? Our natural impulse is to, to look to the law for that righteousness. To think that, well, if I can just do what God says, and, and that impulse is right in a way. The law is given and, and says, if you do this, you will live. 
problem is that we are weak. That we are uh, infected by sin. And we are unable to keep that law. And therefore we are unable to establish our own righteousness. And just as if at the point where it could not, the, the darkness could get no darker, Paul breaks in at verse 21 of chapter 3 and says, But there is a righteousness that is apart from the law. There is a righteousness that God offers to believers in His Son, Jesus Christ, as a free gift of His grace. A righteousness, a right standing with Him, a a record of having completely fulfilled the law and having earned the blessing of the covenant. There is a righteousness that can be given. That is the righteousness of justification. That is the righteousness that David speaks about in Psalm 32 and that Paul uh, refers to here. He says, David refers to the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works of the law. Think about that. You can be counted as righteous even though you have not established your own righteousness through the doing of God's law. Your, as he goes on to say, your lawless deeds can be forgiven. They can be covered. They can be removed from you as far as the east is from the west so that they will never be counted against you. You can receive not what your sinful deeds deserve, but what righteousness, the righteousness of Christ deserves. That is the blessing of justification. We can be right with God. We can be heirs of His kingdom. We can have a right to eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. That's the blessing that he's talking about here. Being reconciled to God, made right with Him. Not because we have earned it, but because He has given it to us as a free gift, received by faith alone. The question is, to whom is that gift offered? The question is, who has the right to receive that blessing? And Paul answers that question. He answers it straightforward, or he asks that question straightforward in, in verse chapter in verse nine of, of chapter four. He says, "Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? That is, is it only for the Jews? Is it only for the covenant people for God, of God, or is it also for the uncircumcised?" You see, Paul understands. That even if a Jew, even if, if someone in the first century listening to him believed him that, that Abraham had been justified by faith, and so therefore we can be justified by faith, apart from works of the law, even if someone believed that, they may still maintain that the blessing was only for the Jews. That the promise only held out hope for those who were the covenant people of God. After all, Abraham was a Jew. He was the forefather of the Jews. He was the, the fountain from which the Jewish people flowed. And therefore, it followed to a Jew's mind at least that you must be circumcised, that you must, you must have, have received that initiatory right of Judaism if you were going to participate in the blessing that was promised to Abraham, the father of the Jews. If your faith was going to be counted to you as righteousness, then you needed first to be a Jew. 
Paul encountered this kind of teaching all the time in his missionary journeys. There were, there were those who were known as Judaizers, or those as the, the circumcision party, who sort of followed Paul around as he went about proclaiming the gospel, and who were, who were constantly teaching, no, that Paul's right, Paul's right, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, yes, he's the Savior, salvation is through him, but you've got to be a Jew first. You've got to be circumcised first. Only the circumcised can participate, can receive the blessing that has been purchased by Christ. Well, that is the false teaching that Paul wants to counter here. And so he asks straightforward, is this blessing only for the circumcised? He wants to point out that no, it's not just for the circumcised, but it is for the uncircumcised also. And he does that by pointing us again back to Abraham. He says, look at Abraham himself. Look at Abraham himself. What do we learn from him? His his faith was counted to him as righteousness, but how was it counted to him as righteousness? When was it counted to him as righteousness? Look with me, beginning at verse 9. Paul writes, we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Paul's making a straightforward historical argument here. He is he's saying simply, listen, in, in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham was called. He was called to leave his homeland. He was called to, to leave his family. And he was called to go where God would lead him. And God made a promise to Abraham on that day that he called him. His promise was that I am going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bring blessing to all people. I'm going to bless you and you are going to become a blessing to all the families of the earth. And as the Genesis chapters unfold, Abraham acts in obedience. But in, but in Genesis 15, he's beginning to wonder. He's beginning to wonder, and he, and he goes before God. He says, God, you've made these great promises. I, I want to believe the promises, but, but how am I supposed to believe them? Because I don't even have an heir. How are you going to make me into a great nation? How are you going to give me a, a, a land? How are you going to bless all people through me if, if a servant in my house is my only heir? And God says to him, Eliezer, your servant is not going to be your heir. You are going to have a child. And I'm going to make your line into a great nation. And I'm going to give your line a great land. And through your line, blessing is going to flow. Look at the stars, God says to Abraham. Look at the stars. If you can count them, that's how abundant your descendants are going to be. And then we read this simple statement in Genesis 15. Abraham believed God. He believed God's word. He took him at his word. He believed the promise. He believed that God would do what he had said he was going to do. And that faith was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was justified. Abraham was counted righteous because he believed God. Because he believed the promise of God. Paul says, when did that happen? When when was he justified? When was he declared righteous? He was declared righteous while he was still uncircumcised. 
Because circumcision doesn't come around until Genesis 17, some 13, 14, even 15 years later. That's when God comes again to Abraham and says, here's the sign. Here's the sign that's going to seal this righteousness that you have by faith. Here's here's the sign of the covenant. The sign of the covenant is going to be circumcision. Abraham wasn't justified because he was circumcised. In fact, Abraham didn't even have to be circumcised before he could be justified by faith. He was justified by faith a decade or more, two decades, before he was justified. I mean, before he was, um, uh, before he was circumcised. And so Paul says, when you look at that, obviously the history puts the priority on faith. Faith is the key. Faith is the instrument that receives the justification of God, that receives the gift of righteousness. Circumcision is just a sign. It's just a seal. It's not unimportant. Of course it's not unimportant. But it is a sign that that points to something beyond itself. It is a, a seal of the righteousness that God has given Abraham by faith. A seal, think about it. It's sort of like the good housekeeping seal. You know, when you see the good housekeeping seal on a product, you know that 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 product has been tested. It has been approved. Well, circumcision is God's seal upon Abraham's justification. It says, listen, this, this righteousness is acceptable to me. This righteousness is good with me. That's what, that's what circumcision is. It is a sign, a seal of the righteousness that Abraham already had. And Paul says it's no accident that this is the order of things. It's no accident that that history unfolded in this way. God did it on purpose, Paul says. The purpose, Paul says, was to make Abraham the father of two kinds of people. Notice it there. First in verse 11. First, God did it in this order so that Abraham might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. Abraham was justified before he was circumcised so that he might be the father of all who share his faith without being circumcised. It was to show that circumcision was not necessary. Circumcision was not the instrument. It was a sign. Now, it was, a, it was disobedience to, to neglect it, just as today we say it's disobedience to neglect baptism. But, but baptism is not the, the, it doesn't receive the gift. Any more than circumcision received the gift for Abraham. And so because Abraham was justified before he was circumcised, all those who believe, all those who share his faith without being circumcised can also receive the blessing. But notice the second category of people here that Abraham becomes the father of. He becomes the father also, verse 12, uh, of of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Do you get that? Notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say that that Abraham is the father of the circumcised and of those who have faith. No. He says he is the father of those who have faith who are not circumcised and those who have faith who are circumcised. Paul says the second reason that Abraham was justified before he was circumcised is so that people wouldn't put their trust in circumcision. That people wouldn't think that by circumcision they had received the gift. Abraham is not the father of all who are merely circumcised. 
but He is the Father of those who are circumcised or not, who walk in the footsteps of His faith, of those who believe God's promise, a promise that now has been clearly, the fulfillment of which has now been clearly revealed in Jesus Christ. Abraham's faith looked forward to Christ as the fulfillment of the promise. Our faith looks back to Christ as the fulfillment of the promise. But our faith is the faith of Abraham. It is the faith that God will do what he said he will do. That God keeps his promises and has kept his promises in Jesus Christ. So Abraham was was justified before he was circumcised so that it might be clear that it is by faith and not through circumcision that justification comes. Why is this so important for us today? Why why would Paul seek to to drive this home in, in Scripture that was going to be read not only in the first century but in the 21st century? As far as I know, I don't think there are very many people today who continue to maintain that a person must be circumcised in order to be right with God. I don't think there are many people today who are arguing that you have to be a a practicing Jew if you are going to receive the gift of, of justification by faith alone. So does this have any great significance for us when when we don't tend to believe that you have to be circumcised Anyway, maybe this is a point that we can sort of skip over quickly because because we've got it. We know that you don't have to be circumcised. Well, I do think there is an application for us, an important application for us, and it's it's twofold. First, when Paul teaches us that Abraham was justified before he was circumcised, the first thing that he is showing us is that nothing other than faith makes one an heir of the promise. Hear that. The promise of of justification by faith alone is only for those who believe. It is exclusively for those who share Abraham's faith in the promise of God. It is only for those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, a, a first century Jew may have said, we have Abraham as our father, therefore we are okay, therefore we're right with God. And The New Testament says to them boldly and strongly, it doesn't matter if you have Abraham as your father if you don't share Abraham's faith. Having Abraham as your father is of no advantage. But we do much the same thing today. People today put their confidence in all sorts of places. Some people just put their confidence in being human. They they think, well, I'm a human being, therefore God's going to love me. Therefore therefore I must be right with God. God's God's a loving God. He's a forgiving God. I must be right with Him because I'm, I'm one of His creatures. I'm one of his children. Other people recognize that that may be just a little too broad. And so they say, well, maybe it's because I'm an American. Isn't America God's chosen nation today? Isn't that that right? Isn't that what we believe? And, And so people think, well, I'm an American. Therefore, I must be right with God. Others still recognize, well, that's still a little too broad. You know, American citizenship isn't going to get you into heaven. So maybe it's because I'm a baptized member of his church. Maybe that's what's going to get me in. Maybe that's what's going to receive the blessing of justification by faith. I'm a a baptized member of the church. Others go even farther. They say, well, it's not just being a baptized member, but it's it's exercising that that religious connection in certain ways. Maybe it's by being faithful in devotions, or maybe it's by tithing, or or maybe it's by being involved in a cause, whatever. They, They put their faith in all sorts of places. And they think, because I do this, Therefore, I must be right with God. 
And Paul says, no, no, externals are not enough. Having Abraham as your father is not enough. Being a human being is not enough. Being an American citizen is not enough. Being a baptized member of the church is not enough. It is not by any of these things that we receive the blessing of justification, but it is by faith. The blessing is only for those who believe, only for those who walk in the footsteps of Abraham's faith. But it doesn't show us only that it is only. It also shows us that it is for all. The blessing is not only only for those who believe. It is also for all those who believe. The story of Abraham shows us that nothing more then faith is required to become an heir of the promise. As I've already said, there was a group in the first century known as the Judaizers, known as, as the Circumcision Party, who readily acknowledged that Jesus Christ was the Savior of sinners, but at the same time maintained that a person had to be circumcised, had to become a Jew in order to receive the blessing of, of the redemption purchased by His blood. This was the group that, that troubled the church in Galatia, that even led Peter and Paul astray so that they would stop associating with, with Gentiles in the church. And Paul speaks forcefully against this group. He, he speaks forcefully against this mindset and says, listen, the blessing is for all who believe. I believe we do much the same thing as that circumcision party when we suggest that a person must do something must somehow change before they can be justified, before they can become a righteous child of God. We think that the alcoholic must stop drinking before he can become justified. We think that the pornography addict must stop looking before he can become justified. We think that the liar must stop lying, that the thief must stop stealing, that the angry person must put off his anger, that the bitter person must put off his bitterness, that the anxious person must put off his anxiety. Maybe we make it personal and we think that we have some besetting sin that we must put off first before we can believe on Jesus Christ, receive the forgiveness of our sins, and be declared righteous. Now, this is a pernicious way of thinking because when you hear those changes, you're like, yes, those are the changes we want to see. Those are the changes that we desire. Yes, we, we want the alcohol to stop drinking. We want the, the man who's using pornography to stop. We want the angry person to, to put off his anger. We want the bitter person to, to put off his bitterness. Those are the changes we want to see. And those are the changes that we expect the gospel to bring about. We believe that God changes people. We believe that the gospel transforms lives. We believe that God's grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. But hear this. If we say that a person must change before they can be justified by faith, then we are in effect saying that that person, or maybe it's ourselves, that we at this moment are presently beyond the reach of the gospel. That we are too far gone and that we must do something before we can be justified. 
We must make ourselves better. We must, we must reform ourselves a little bit before the gospel of justification can apply to us. Before the blessing can be ours. But do you hear how that turns the gospel on its head? The good news is that God justifies the ungodly. God justifies sinners who cannot justify themselves. God justifies sinners who have no resources in themselves to put off their sin. Who have no resources in themselves to obey His law. Yes, God changes people. Part of the gift that God gives to us is that He will transform us. Is that He will make us new. But we must not believe that we have to change ourselves first. We must recognize that the gift of justification is for all who believe. All that is required is repentance and faith. All is required is, is acknowledgement, yes, that we are sinners helpless before God in need of His sovereign mercy. And then a pleading to Him for His salvation. The salvation that He has purchased through Christ's blood. Listen again to the words that we sang earlier this morning. If we tarry till we're better, we will never come at all. If you think that you have to get your act together, if you have to think that you have to change somehow, and that you have to, to meet some standard before you can receive the gift of justification, you will never receive it. Because you will never make yourself good enough to deserve such a gift. But here again this. The only fitness He requires is to feel your need of Him. Do you know yourself to be a sinner? Do you know yourself to be justly deserving of His condemnation? If you do, then you qualify. You qualify for the gift. The blessing is for you. If you will only receive it. If you will only join Abraham in believing God. You, too, will be declared righteous. So the question that you must face this morning is this. Will you trust the God who justifies the ungodly? If you will, the blessing is for you. If you will just, if you will trust the God who justifies the ungodly, your lawless deeds will be covered. Your sins will be forgiven. They will never be counted against you. But in their place, the righteousness of Christ will be counted to your account. And that is why we call it good news. Now, do you believe that? Amen. Pray with me. Father God, open our ears and our hearts to believe this gospel. Do not allow us to turn the gospel on its head. Do not allow us to believe that we must somehow change before we can receive the blessing. Help us to know that the blessing of justification by faith alone is for the ungodly. That it's for us. Father God, give us the grace that we need to believe this. That it might put down deep roots in our heart. That it might transform our lives. That it might prepare us for those good works which you have prepared in advance for us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.